hosted by Jason Bryan and providing the latest insights on telecoms trends from around the world. This is Rocco Radio. Welcome to Well Connected. On this week's show, I speak with the wonderful Kim Jakubowski, Senior Manager of Roaming Services at AWN, Alaska Wireless Network, who I had the pleasure of meeting recently at the WAS8 event in Croatia. Listening to Kim in industry conferences, it's pretty clear that even while she works in the last frontier, aka Alaska, she has a global perspective on telecoms and an in-depth strategic mind, which is clearly helping to shape the fortunes of AWN and the industry. In her interview, Kim tells us the amazing story of her telecoms career, about the challenges of being an MNO in such a remote location, and about her thoughts on airline etiquette in a hyper-connected world. What they say in Alaska is if you're not the head sled dog, your view never changes. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) So you always want to stay ahead of the pack. Yeah. You need to be brave. You need to have guts. The lead sled dogs are... Yeah. are a force to be reckoned with, and they're, they're the lead for a reason. So, yeah. you know, the same could be true about wireless operators. I'm here with the wonderful Kim Jakubowski. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Kim. <laughs> no, um, Kim is, of course, one of the regular delegates to the GSMA was meeting and a regular advocate and supporter of GSMA workshops, both in the global perspective, but also locally in the US. Yes. I'm an active participant in the North American Regional Interest Group and a member of the CTO leadership team. Awesome. And so what is your role? You, You work for Alaska Wireless, though. Yes. So what is your role in Alaska Wireless? I am the senior manager of roaming services, which basically means I'm the goddess of all things roaming. Uh, From contract negotiation, IoT negotiations, uh, I coordinate with just one or two people at AWN for implementation, new product development, um, monthly support and and analysis of, of roaming trends and so forth, work with different teams on product, anything related to roaming, troubleshooting. It's, I wear a lot of hats for that, a small that company. Is, that is a lot of hats. Actually, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about the scale of Alaska Wireless? Because I guess not a lot of people may know. They know about the big US operators, but they may not know of Alaska Wireless. How many subscribers do you have, for example? Uh, we're, you know, as they always fluctuate and a rounding era of about 200,000. Okay. But the population of Alaska is less than 800,000. Okay. So we have a large chunk of the population as our customers. It is. Alaska Wireless is a subsidiary company of GCI Communications. And GCI Communications is the largest communications provider in the state. They have broadband, internet, cable, television stations, undersea fiber. So having a wireless company is yeah. a natural fit. Awesome. But you're from Montana. Yes. I'm a remote employee. Uh, I do work for an Alaskan company, but they're um, generous enough to let me work remotely from home. Uh, It does work out well in many respects due to time zone changes. Alaska is, you know, minus nine. So trying to work with European (laughs) operators, I I would have to be up very early in the morning to have any sort of discussion. So having that additional time zone change... My morning might be early, but it's not 3 o'clock in the morning early. Right. So we can we can get some business done. The two-hour time difference between Alaska and, and Montana. I have been a remote employee uh, with GCI for nine years. Prior to that, I was always reporting to an office. It was an adjustment, for sure. Getting my family, uh, children, of course, to understand that these are mom's office hours yeah. and you need to leave me alone. <laughs> you can make a sandwich. You're 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, and just learning to be more disciplined with not always being in the office. The first couple of years, that was a big problem for me that it would, Saturday, I'm walking past my, my home office and, oh, let me check email. And four hours later, I'm still working. So that, that required some discipline. But yeah. the, the days are still long. I'm, I'm working by six, seven o'clock in the morning. And I'm probably done again because Alaska, their five o'clock at night is my 7 p.m. So... 
No, it's true. I mean, people, you know, the, this is the, the weird misunderstanding of people who work from home because I've also done that in the past. And, you know, you actually work more. You do. <laughs> because hours. it's quieter and you can concentrate and... Oh, it, it, the morning hours are great because I get so much work done before people in the office in Alaska get in. So then you don't get distracted by all the tangential emails that take you off topic and what you planned on doing for the day. So there's there's a lot of bonuses and I'm going to stick to that story and <laughs> <laughs> continue to sell it. Why it's such a great thing for GCI that I'm a Alaska artist, that I'm a, I'm a remote employee. <laughs> well... I want you to step back a little bit now because I want to get to know Kim a little bit better. So, you were raised in Montana? No, I was not. I was born in New Jersey on the eastern seaboard of, of the continental U.S. Um, lived in various places throughout New York State, New Jersey, Florida. Um, my family spent some time in um, the Midwest, Colorado, Rocky Mountains. Um, I met my husband now husband, 20 years, uh, when we were both in New Jersey. And he was the one who really had ties and a draw to Montana. So when we started talking about getting married and having kids and where do you want to raise your kids, Montana's absolutely beautiful, very low crime, good education. So it, it seemed like the natural fit. Wow, okay, so... I'm still a Jersey girl at heart, though. You're still a Jersey girl, indeed. <laughs> So you went to school in Jersey. I did. And you went to university. I did go to university. What did you study at university? I was a history major in university. Oh, really? Yes. And I graduated with um, a degree, a bachelor's degree in history, with all the licensing requirements to be a secondary school teacher. So I was a high school history teacher for three years. Oh, wow. Um, it was quite exciting. Um, loved it great kids, probably would still be um, if the school district I was working for had budget cuts in the summer. So last in, first out. Okay. So it wasn't just me. Three other teachers were laid off. So I didn't take it personally. Right. But through those happenstance, because I needed a job, um, a friend of mine was a manager of a job placement agency. And you can't find a teaching job three weeks before the school year starts. It's, it's near impossible. So she told me about a, it was a temporary position in the Northeast Regional Headquarters of UPS in their wireless technologies division, and all I needed to do was be a receptionist. And oh, this wow. was this was in the early days of, of computers. I mean, literally, I had those pink while-you-were-out notes. I would have to yeah. take, um, you know, messages, because... My vice president really didn't like voicemail, so I'd have to write all of his messages out and stuff. And they kind of lied. That was receptionist was part of the job. <laughs> um, okay. I was I was immediately indoctrinated um, because the this was the early early days of the instant package tracking. Yeah. You know, the first form of M to M, really. Okay. And uh, before I even knew what M to M was, or any of us even called it M to M, but this is in that wireless technologies division, we created and um, maintained the relationships with all the various wireless operators in the U.S. to track the packages when they went from place to place. Well, part of my responsibility was the settlement for that as well as the troubleshooting when those wireless modems stopped working in the package cars. And how do we fix those? Wow. So going from a high school degree, <laughs> you know, a high school teaching history degree, to suddenly now I'm troubleshooting wireless modems and how these things work and doing all the settlement and everything. I had, some, I had a great mentor. Uh, she really brought me under her wing and... She's like, this is what you need to know to be successful at this job. Wow. Um, and yeah. really, every day at lunch, we would sit there, and she would. She was. She eventually moved on to to work at Bell Labs as an engineer there as well. But she's like, this is here's your crash course in engineering and, and wireless. And this was still in the really early days of, of wireless. Everything was still analog. So when are we talking? Actually, what year can you remember? This would have been in 1991. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was all. I, I started doing this when I was 12. <laughs> okay. You know? It's okay. We won't reveal your age. I'm not, it's, that's not what this is about. So. 
Um, but yeah, so that was a fantastic way to really be indoctrinated into what what was the birth of our now you know global wireless network is okay it's not as a user not as a salesperson but as um you know how, how do you how do you fix it when it's broken how do you settle for it between operators and at that time uh we had a lot more diversity amongst american u.s operators you would have an operator of a hundred square miles maybe yeah and and that would they'd have five towers and that's somebody you have to deal with every month and pay those bills and settle those bills for that that modem traffic and anybody that had any sort of highway coverage of course we needed um i eventually left ups and went to work for 9x mobile communications how do you spell it sorry 9x n-y-n-e-x and it meant new york New England and the X stood for the unknown. Okay. And it was the wire. It was it was part of New York Telephone. Um, so it was it was their wireless department, and I began working in their fraud department. Okay. So so I, I learned about wireless through you know this innovative M to M traffic, and then I take the those skills and move into fraud, and I find out how is everybody breaking and cheating the system, and how do we stay on top of that and fix that. Back in those days, we didn't have the kind of fraud technology that we do today, and we certainly didn't have instantaneous, you know, camel triggers to pull things and shut stuff down. What we would do is we would take our monthly settlement files, and we would analyze the number of unique roamers, what the voice spend was, because there was no data, there was no SMS, so what was the voice spend? How did that compare to last month? How did that compare to that same month last year? And if you saw whatever percentage threshold was determined difference, that must mean fraud. So send a fax to that serving operator and tell them to pull all of your line ranges for a month because there's fraud. (laughs) And then you'd have to remember to go back and say, okay, you can load them again. I mean, you know, this was even pre-SS7 days. If you needed to roam, you'd star 18 and star 19 to trigger your, your, your right. roaming number, and you needed the, um, the, the seven, um, 7626 number. So you'd call ahead of time and say, I'm going to Los Angeles. What's my, what's my roaming number? And they would give you the area code in exchange, and it would always be 7626. So somebody would want to call you. They'd have to dial that number, and then they'd get dial tone, and then they could call your cellular number. Crazy stuff, but that's what we did back then. But as a person, did it ever occur to you that this would be the industry that you would get into? Because, yeah, absolutely not. Again, I, I, you know, grew up as a child, loved school, loved education. I have an insane passion for history. I wanted to be a history teacher. I wanted to teach other people about my passion. I spent two years doing archaeology in the northern Golan Heights of, of Israel, uncovering a 3,300-year-old city. Um, I had my face in archaeology, biblical archaeology review, sitting there holding, you know, precious precious artifacts that I found. Um, so it was really neat. Wow. Yeah. Um, that was my passion. That's what I wanted to do. Like I said, it was just a series of happenstance that I wound up in this wireless business. It just... Then, who would go to school to learn wireless? That that wasn't even yeah, telecom, wasn't no. a degree. Communications was, you know, maybe the birth of computer science was still in its infancy then, too. So, um, yeah, but, you know, one thing led to another. I was working with 9X. Um, Bell Atlantic was the New Jersey equivalent. Bell Atlantic and 9X merged. And then the company you know today is Verizon was part of that 9X Bell Atlantic's mobile. They started in that. And then about mid-90s, 95, 96, is uh, when they formed Verizon after purchasing numerous other wireless operators and the consolidation began in the United States of all these smaller regional operators into what is is today, you know, either AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile. That was about the time I was, that was about the time I was getting into the industry. So Mm -hmm. I do remember this actually. And, um, yeah, I, did, I, I once did a little project 
with GTE at the time. GTE MobileNet? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did a project with them where I had to, well, it was between Cellnet at the time mm -hmm. in the UK and T-Mobile Germany. And they'd set up this global roaming solution where you, yes. could, you could actually get mm -hmm. your customer to the US and they could roam there. Like during that time, which is like the very first days, like let's say when I entered into the roaming space, it would have been 95. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, these great innovations coming up. And sure. actually, actually, during that time, of course, was the consolidation of a lot of US. There was a lot of US There was. Um, and it was also a time when everybody was trying to decide what technology they were going to do. And I think, you know, um, many stubborn Americans said, well, that GSM stuff, that's European people. We're going to go TDMA or CDMA. We're going to yeah. get off of analog and do one of these two. Obviously, CDMA went out because I can't think of a single TDMA operator that exists today. Mm. Most of those operators eventually adopted GSM yeah. and, and have been using that standard since then. But there still remains a large number of CDMA users in the United States um, and some smaller CDMA operators, of which Alaska Wireless is also a CDMA operator. We are the largest operator in Alaska, so we provide both technology services. Right. Of course, CDMA is sunsetting. Um, exactly when is all part of those high-level, behind-the-scenes discussions. Um, but uh, in, until that time, until it completely sunsets, we will continue to be a, well, we call it dual technology, but we also offer um, LTE and Volte. So, yeah. I mean, we're, we're thoroughly going down that path right. uh, and, and improving. But we'll continue to maintain that CDMA network. Okay, so you were working in 9X and you kept your job during the time when the consolidations were happening? And Started to, yes. Yeah. It was also around that time um, in 95 that uh, my now husband and I started having these conversations about marriage and so forth and where you want to go. So in 1998, we were married and I was still at... 9X, Bell Atlantic 9X Mobile at the time, Bantam, and we were going to move to Montana, so I needed to find a job. Mm. Uh, I literally called the Chamber of Commerce <laughs> in Missoula, Montana, and said, can you send me a book of companies? Um, at the time, TriTouch America was one of the long-distance providers. They've since gone out of business, but they were headquartered in Missoula, um, and there was this little telephone cooperative called Blackfoot Telephone Cooperative, and I wrote... You know, sent a resume, wrote a letter. I said, we're, we're coming for a honeymoon to go to Montana. Would really love to have an appointment and, and meet you to see if there's any synergy, if you have any job available. I mean, yeah. it was really, it was the equivalent of a cold call, but it was right. a cold call on a letter. <laughs> you know? uh, but that's the way to do it. It I mean, was. What else would you do? <laughs> what, what other options did I have? We didn't have the internet, really. Yeah, I mean, exactly. you didn't. That's why I called the Chamber no of email. Commerce. No, um, I think you said it was the, the. You still had bulletin boards at that time. People, you could go online and pigeonholes. But yeah, but you you had to be really really techno savvy to even be able to figure that out. And I, it didn't it didn't fly my hair back. So it wasn't something I really wanted. <laughs> Okay. Um, but, yeah, it was only four days later I received a phone call from the general manager of uh, Blackfoot Communications, which was their wireless subsidiary of the telephone cooperative. And he said, when are you going to be here? And let's talk. Mm. I was like, okay. Nice. Um, it was. And I interviewed and was offered a job that day. Wow. And when can you start? I said, well, I'm on my honeymoon. Let me finish this first. <laughs> figure out how I'm going to logistically make this move and, and we'll do this. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. Um, wow. So lucky. It was, it was fortuitous and it was yeah. a great company to work for, but also was, it was, it was right after 1996 when they had the new spectrum auction. So it was a PCS operator, 1900 megahertz. It was a small regional operator. I don't think we ever had more than 15,000 subscribers. Uh, so of course, As, as things phased out, eight years later, they sold off their wireless operations. So the people they sold it to had a roaming team, and uh, I, needed to, I needed to move on from there. So I was, I was sitting home on a Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I received a phone call from a colleague who knew I was looking for opportunities and said, what are you doing? And I said, it's 2 o'clock on a Monday afternoon. I think I'm watching Maury Povich or something ridiculous. <laughs> it was just something stupid. And she's like, well, you want to come to Kansas? 
Kansas. Why would I want to come to Kansas? <laughs> I'm, I'm here in Montana. It doesn't have a good reputation, Kansas, because maybe Europeans don't appreciate this. I don't think a lot of Americans appreciate Kansas either. <laughs> um, it's, it's a flat state. It is smack dab in the absolute center geographically of the continental United States. It's, it's very different. I grew up in New York and New Jersey, very metropolitan, very, you know, and living in Montana, very rural, very, um, you know, but Kansas was something really different. I took the position. They were offered me a good position. Let me back that up a little bit, though. Coincidentally, at the same time, I was speaking to a headhunter about a position available in Alaska. Both offers required us to relocate. We weren't doing remote. Then again, it was still not that heavy-duty. This was 2005, so remote employees were something unheard of. You know, what? No, so you have to move. Because it was a headhunter, he wouldn't identify the operator in Alaska. Mm. But he told me I had to go to Tennessee for the interview. So I knew immediately it was Alaska Digital. Again, I know my business. I know where people are headquartered. And so I'm like, okay, I can either go take this job with Alaska Digital or I could take this job with Next Tech Wireless both CDMA operators. I left it up to my husband. I said, where would you like to move? <laughs> I thought for sure it was going to be Alaska. My husband's very, um, he's, he's very into outdoors and hunting and everything. And nice. he chose Kansas. Surprised me. Oh. It was a great opportunity, though. I mean, it was, we lived um, in a nice small town, uh, really friendly people, small operator, in, also in startup mode. This seemed to have become my, my modus operandi was to start at a startup, you know, like let me let me start and get everybody on their feet, which is what I did with Blackfoot. So, same thing with with Next Tech in Kansas. Four years later, everything was up and running, and I received a phone call from another colleague. How are things in Kansas? It's Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why? What do you have an opportunity for? Well, I have another colleague who is hiring a roaming manager up in Alaska. Oh, okay. Um, do I have to move? Only where you want to live. It's a remote position. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm very interested. Because we had kept our home in Montana. We didn't sell it when we moved because it's a beautiful place. It was also the height of the housing bubble, and there was no way we were going to purchase an equivalent home down the road for the yeah. same price of what we had. Um, so we kept that as, as a rental. So I took the job at GCI Communications, and it was a remote position, so we were able to move back to our home in Montana. But what had happened in the wireless world up in Alaska is that Alaska Digital, the company I would have worked for, was bought by GCI Communications. Okay. So I would have been working for GCI Communications one way or another. <laughs> it was. It was It was absolutely inevitable. So um, I would be in this position today had I taken the job back in 2005. In either direction. In either yeah. direction. Although I would have had to have moved to Alaska, which I didn't want to do. Yeah. So, And then a couple years uh, after I joined GCI, they went into a joint venture partnership with the other CDMA operator in Alaska that was of substantial size, Alaska Communication Systems, formed a joint venture called the Alaska Wireless Network. Hmm. So uh, eventually GCI bought out ACS's portion of the business and continued to keep Alaska Wireless as you know a, a limited liability corporation under the larger umbrella of GCI Communications, which is now GCI Liberty. And here we all sit today in, and here we are in today. lovely Rovinj, Croatia, having this conversation. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, we, aren't, we, aren't we lucky? Aren't we, we are lucky. lucky. <laughs> Indeed. And in, in, in all this time, I got to meet you and have become friends with you. And you're a fantastic person. Thank you very much. I, I'm, really, uh, I'm really blessed by the opportunities that have been presented in this business. Had I continued to be a high school history teacher, any travel would have been on my own dime to go learn what I wanted to learn. Not that I'm complaining, but uh, it would have been a very different life. It would have been a very different life, and I feel so much more enriched, honestly, if I think back about it, because my opportunity to just meet people from everywhere would have been so much more limited as the tourist teacher traveling. So... Growing up in the CDMA world, roaming was about having an agreement between Kansas and Montana. Right. It wasn't about having an agreement between Kansas and Germany. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's roaming too. And what was 
interesting to me going from a CDMA, you know, experience and background, 17 years in this, learning GSM, because when I went to GCI, it was the first company I ever worked for that had GSM technology, so I knew none of this stuff. Yes, GSM has their own dictionary. Uh, it, that was that was a new lesson for me in learning all of that. What really struck me is when talking about roaming, they mean different countries. Yeah. And I was always like, no, that means different states. You know, in CDMA, your international roaming partner was Canada. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or Mexico and a couple of the islands. You were not international roaming with Luxembourg. That's, you know. Right. Um, so just flipping the switch on understanding that that roaming isn't domestic, it was international, was, was really an aha moment for me. What has it been like for, I mean, because, because CDMA was the dominant network environment. In North America. In North America, in North America, for, America for, for many, years. many years. Yes. What was it like for all those small operators to have to adopt to a whole new type of network? I mean, that's quite a, a commitment to make. Um, in many respects, it's a lot of what I went through when I joined GCI. I had very little knowledge of GSM uh, at the time and had to learn a whole new technology, not just the words, but how things work. Um, it was it was really a challenge, but I had a lot of great support from industry colleagues that were willing to help me out. I think we still have a large number of smaller regional CDMA operators in the United States that are launching LTE, are launching Volte, and these are GSMA-based um, vernacular in education and technologies. So they too are going through s similar things, and because they are smaller operators, I don't know that they always have the budget to attend things like this. So in in a lot of those cases, it's going to be. Um, and I do. I field a lot of phone calls. I've been in this business a while, and I know a lot of these people for a very long time. Um, and we'll, we'll get phone calls. Hey, Kim, tell me about this. Can you help me out with this? Yeah. What do you know about this? What vendor should I talk to about this? Um, and, uh, you know, always there to help. I think in, in North America, those CDMA operators, we've known each other for so long. Those that remain are the last holdouts that haven't been absorbed through M&A. And uh, it's, it's a tight-knit community. And I think it's something that I really hope that they start to spend more time on understanding and learning the, the importance of industry organizations like this. This is not anything we've ever had in the CDMA world. We had vendor conferences, but we never had global industry conferences like this. We had the CDG for, for a while. I was an active participant in the CDG, morphed into the MDG, Mobility Developers Group. I was on the board of directors. I was the only woman on the board for, for the MDG, um, but not at all to this level of education, support, information. And I really would encourage the CDMA operators that are adopting LTE as their going forward strategy to become a lot more active in the GSM Association. It's, it's important that they, they understand um, and they learn. And there's the regional interest group. They don't have to travel to Croatia. They don't have to have the budget for that. But there is the North American regional interest group where we bring back all of the information about these global meetings. Right. We bring it back to those three days that we meet somewhere in the United States three times a year and talk about all of these things. And it's an opportunity to, to really grow and understand. It's a transition we all have to make and either you adapt or you die. And they're adapting and they have a lot of resources and tools out there they may not know about because it wasn't something that we always had in CDMA either, this industry organization to, yeah. to provide this sort of support and knowledge. And to understand that you are, this isn't just information receiving, you are information creating. You're changing by participating in these workshops and the plenaries. You're making the changes that are happening to the industry. Yeah, we, we are the GSMA. We are. It's, it, it's interesting because folks now, you know, the, the common user on the street, oh, what's with this Volte stuff? It's such high-definition voice. This is great. I'm like, yeah, we've been working on that, you know, a decade ago. Knew all about it then. Really? It wasn't even invented yet. 
Exactly. We're we're setting the standards for things that aren't even being invented today. We're, they're on the future roadmap, but we have to get the billing and charging principles figured out before we can actually implement the technology and implement the roaming. So GSMA participation for CDMA operators, I would highly encourage. If, if you're going through your, your budget forecast for next year, attend the regional interest groups. I really think that you'll find you can get a lot out of them. Yeah. No, it sounds like a very interesting networking opportunity anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the education you receive from it is, is vital. And part of the responsibility of the regional interest group is to go back to the global bodies to say, this is what North America wants. Yeah. So as you're creating these standards for Europe or Africa or Asia, this is what North America wants. So you got to pay attention. And, and they do a great job. The leadership team, which is small regional operators, um, larger operators too, but the North American operators do a great team, a great, do a great job bringing that stuff back. Um, so you said these meetings occur three times, three, three times a three year. Three times a year, and they're pretty uh, dispersed across the United States: East Coast, Central, and West Coast. Okay. So, so there's it, an opportunity to join one. You know, one a year. Very near to yeah, you. one close to you, uh, different time. They're always sensitive to times. We we don't meet in Alaska in, in January. <laughs> <laughs> we did meet in Alaska in May. It was and you don't mean to meet in Kansas at all. We were in Kansas City this past May. We okay. certainly were. So yes, we did meet in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you a question from your perspective on the, on the telecoms industry today. Mm-hmm. We heard in the agenda just a couple of days ago about how mobile network operators are not innovative. They're, they haven't really delivered anything new since SMS. And we know actually that this is not true because we've been through many different generations of a service and each have brought new types of services. For example, 10 years ago, we didn't have video. What's your view on all of that about the future of the mobile network operator, let's say, or in general, where telecoms is going? What opportunities are there for mobile network operators these days? Well, no one ever wants to become the big dumb pipe. Mm. And that would be a very bad turn for operators, mobile operators to do. Uh, We need to stay innovative, but I think we need to stay innovative in cooperation and with the partnership of some of these far, you know, genius young new startup companies, people that, you know, why why on earth would I ever want to be able to text video, email, and video call somebody. That doesn't make any sense. And then you have applications like WhatsApp that are essential when traveling. You never thought things were going to be what they were going to be, but you have to allow the opportunity to fail. Failure is as much an opportunity to learn and to grow as having every successful project take off like you need to. And I think a lot of operators are afraid to fail because there is serious resource commitment, financial commitment involved in backing something that ultimately fails. I understand the hesitation to be cutting edge and innovative, especially publicly traded companies. And when you're when you're traded on the stock exchange, you have a fiduciary responsibility to not lose money and to make your stockholders money. So there's there's a lot of concern in that. But I don't think and I don't believe that mobile operators are not innovative. Yeah. They might just be a little more cautious. And certainly the I believe that one of the best paths is to continue to be open with working with other innovative startup groups that you can partner with or you can eventually merge with. And that would be really a, a good long-term option for for operators. Well, you've just shared a new perspective on it, really, because, you know, you hear so many people, especially in the social media channels, talk about operators, but it's true. Tell us something about the Internet of Things industry in the U.S. I think a lot of the American corporations are doing this. I think a lot of it is also... It, Americans' perception is a lot of it's being driven by Asian operators and okay. markets. Yeah. That, and we need to stay at least on par with the development in the progress as it continues to grow. Not so much, you know, if, if what they say in Alaska is if you're not the head sled dog, your view never changes. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> So you always want to stay ahead of the pack. Yeah. You need to be brave. You need to have guts. The lead sled dogs are 
yeah. are a force to be reckoned with, and they're they're the lead for a reason. So, yeah. you know, the same could be true about wireless operators. You know, obviously we have NBIOT coming through. We have, well, the whole NIOT initiative of the GSMA. This means a whole new set of roaming agreements, right? And it's... It can, yeah. With that and with the other activity in general on cellular IoT, there's a big chunk of business for operators, isn't there? I certainly believe so. I can speak for our niche market in Alaska. We have some of the most remote places in the world. Villages populated by hundreds of people that are only accessible through float plane. So all you know, helicopters and float planes, GCI has some incredible challenges, even when it comes to providing wireless service out there, but we do. We're out there providing telecom for these folks. You can imagine if your village is only accessible certain times a year and through only certain technologies, access to quality education or a doctor just to find out what what's this red mark on my arm looking like. Well, it could get worse while you wait three months to get out of the village to go see someone. Or you can use through telehealth. You can you can have a doctor there as well, which is more an A to P, but it's still very vital. And we partner with various companies to help provide those sorts of services out there. Mobile money is another thing. There's there's no banks in these places. So you get you get your paycheck. <laughs> what are you gonna do with that? <laughs> it's gonna sit in a drawer and you know, do your semi annual trip to Anchorage. So, so it's been a real revolution then for the Alaskan market. Oh, to, yes. have, to have inside of things related products and services. I do believe so. It's it's opened up a world to folks that have uh, otherwise been kind of cut off. Okay. And GCI is committed. Our slogan is Alaska born and raised. That's GCI's yeah, slogan. And it's it's very true. We are an Alaskan-based company. We are there to serve the people of Alaska because they support us as much as we support them. It is very much a, a partnership. And that's that's the kind of focus that GCI, Alaska Wireless, does. It's a bit of a random question, but um, last year I was interviewing Alex Pirieta from Digicel. And he was telling us about the hurricanes and the effect that they have on the network. With Alaska, what is some of the challenges you face? Oh, we have some pretty, we have some pretty crazy challenges. Obviously, our build season is very limited to only good weather. One of my first industry roaming partner announcements, outage announcements, okay guys, we, we have an outage, affected the North Slope, which is, it, it's an entire city of the petroleum, oil, and gas industry. So you'll have thousands of people up on the North Slope at any time. So it's impactful to have your communication. I recall using the phrase, ice crushing event has brought down our network. Um, some, some very large chunks of ice. We had, I believe we had fiber running along the Alaskan pipeline on there and some ice had shaved off and tore the fiber to get to that area to fix that fiber took three days just to get there it's the middle of winter you have minutes of daylight every day and to get out there and and to patch fiber was 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 quite quite challenging this past winter season um, 2017 2018 unfortunately one of our microwave repeaters which serves as the backhaul to these remote villages to provide telecom service also had an extremely large amount of ice buildup that literally moved the antennas because uh. they were so heavy that they moved them and it cut off communications for several villages and we were trying to figure out how do we fix this and still be safe. The The amount of ice buildup was absolutely insane. And it, it took quite a while because you can't fight Mother Nature. Yeah. That ice is there. How do you get that ice? And it's so remote, you know, accessible by helicopter only. So you got to bring people Amazing. out there. And it, there's a lot of commitment financially to those kind of resources to provide that sort of type of telecom. So yes, hurricanes have huge impacts on networks, absolutely. But so does snow, wind, <laughs> ice, lack of sunshine. Um, they they all they all present their own unique challenges. Yeah, indeed. Yesterday here in the WAS meeting, there was a great panel and a great session on women in tech to encourage, let's say, women to enter into the world of technology. What's your view on, on women in tech and how we could potentially support them further? 
Well, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I, I had a career path of a very traditional woman-oriented path of being a teacher. That's not to say that they're not, yeah. you know, male teachers as well, but it was, you know, a lot like nursing and so forth. There, there tends to have a, a gender bias there. Uh, and it is because of Jeannie Chaplin, the woman who <laughs> yeah. took her time out of her dish. She didn't have to have lunch with me every day. And, and this went on for months. This was not something that she just, okay, here's what you need to know, now go do your job. She wanted to make sure I was, I probably received a university-level education in, wow. those, in those lunch meetings because this was one woman supporting another woman so that I could be the best, not only employee to her, but that I could really have opportunities. And it turns out... I kind of like this technology stuff. Yeah. You know, here I am 25 years later still doing this. And it's because of the support that I received from another woman. She was breaking glass ceilings as well. Yeah. Our director of our wireless technologies department was a woman. As things do, things have changed over the years. But at the time, it was a very male-dominated industry. Women were not normally uh, in management-level positions yeah. at UPS. And certainly not in engineers, and I think Jeannie Chaplin's specific position, because she was a brilliant engineer, made our little wireless technologies department much more diverse than other departments within the corporation structure. Uh, it's because of her that I'm sitting here today talking to you. Yeah. So it's that kind of a thing that I think we're all, I don't know, obliged to do, but I think we have a responsibility to do. One of the recurring themes throughout the Women in Technology conversations at the North American RIG meetings or here in the WAS meetings is about mentorship and sponsorship. And I didn't know to call it at that time what Jeannie was doing for me, but she was. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. And, and I look now here, I am a couple decades later, where are my opportunities to help the next Kim Jakubowski be the best that she can be in, in her job? Um, so it, we do have a responsibility to help each other out. There are so many more career opportunities available to women. There's more educational opportunities available to women. And I think, as discussed yesterday and, and several other times throughout, it, it starts young. Yeah. You have to know that it's okay to be a techno geek, you know? <laughs> Having both a son and a daughter, I've watched them both grow and interact and develop into the people that they are today and I hope will continue to be. My daughter's going to kill me for even bringing this up, but she <laughs> loves to call herself a geek. Yeah. And 25 years ago, no 16-year-old girl would ever proudly... I mean, yeah. that, was, that was an insult back then. Yeah. Oh, you're such a geek. And she's like, you're darn right I am. Loves it. Owns it. And she's so brilliant at math and science. And it's something that we've, you know, always continued to encourage that this is, you're good at this. Don't be dumb. Don't dumb it down. So I, I hope we continue down this path with all women, not just our daughters, but with, with other people within our companies and other schools and so forth. Some of the programs that they've been talking about going out and getting into the schools and, um, you know, the GSMA in Atlanta has done a fantastic job with their encouraging young women and teaching them, you know, new coding skills and so forth. It's fantastic. I, I, I love to see that happen. So the more we continue to encourage and inspire and inspire, hopefully, it needs more sunshine. Understanding that supporting women in technology is not... It's, there's not a, a negative side to that. It's not that we're now not supporting men in technology. Mm. It's just bringing sunshine onto something that has not been recognized or seen in a long time. It's like, okay, now that you recognize it, and I think that you had made that comment as well, now that you're more aware of it, yeah. think about it. Yeah. You know, when you are putting together your A-team for a project and you're pulling resources from different departments... Think about who you're pulling resources from, not just the people that you're comfortable with. Go outside of your comfort zone. You know, we've had several American presidents that have been very successful American presidents that have gone outside their comfort zone. They have encouraged and recruited people from the opposition party to be a part of their cabinet and inner circle so they can hear things. Yeah. It's not an echo chamber. And it's the same thing, I think, with, with women in technology and corporations. Don't have your echo chamber. You won't be innovative. 
You have to think outside of your comfort zone. And that means going to people that you are not always comfortable working with, know how to work with, might not even have the best opinion of, but to provide an opportunity to have the sunshine on the fact that you need to start thinking outside your comfort zone. And the majority of leaders in corporations and upper management are men. And as they start building their A-teams for different projects and so forth, I encourage them to have that sunshine on their own projects and in their own levels and departments and say, okay, I need to think about this. It's not about quotas. It's not about devaluing men in the workplace. It's just about bringing in more diversity. And with diversity comes progress. We need to think outside the box as a telecom industry, as well as just you know daily interactions with our employees. GCI, uh, two years ago, started, they call the organization GWEN, it's GCI Women Networking Group. All men are invited. It's, it's not yeah. just about women, but it's the same thing. We're, we're GCI on their own. It's not through the influence of things that you know, said, you know what? Well, Alaska's a very male-heavy population. There just tends to be more men that work in Alaska than than women. So, But GCI on their own decided that they needed to, to do something like this. Yeah. So, they, cause they, so they could start mentoring and helping promote and recognizing that they needed more diversity in the workforce as well. And kudos to them for doing it. And I'm very proud that they, they took that initiative without uh, necessarily having to be told to. And unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, even uh, California just last week passed a law requiring all publicly traded companies have a diverse board of directors. You must have a woman on the board of directors, depending on the size of the number of seats. And then the number of women goes up according to the number of seats that you have on there. And all the legality aside, whether or not it'll be challenged or, you know, won't be fully enforced or what have you, the fact that they had to pass this law, I think is a step in the right direction of at least providing more sunshine. You know, take a look around, guys. You're requiring the state legislature to make you do this? Instead of making you do this, how about you take a look around and say, we need to do this? And that was something that my company, GCI, you know, our parent company of Alaska Wireless, did on their own. And kudos for it. It, it was an amazing session, and I invite everybody to to follow the the work of Vicky and Vicky Slide is is fantastic. Uh, Kathleen Leach, what a leader! She's she's somebody I look up to and respect. She's amazing, um, and and what a history she has in terms of starting off in in one industry and, and going to another. So if you get an opportunity to even have a sit down with Kathleen, I, I highly encourage it. They're they're phenomenal women. And people I'm very glad to know. Now, for fun, I want to ask you a question which is not related to telecoms, but it's related to the fact that you are, let's say, a domestic Roma. Mm. And you take a lot of planes, don't you? I do. I take a lot of planes to go places. Just living in Montana, I have to go somewhere to get somewhere. So there's... But I, th- I think you're probably one of the the more notable social media commentators on the... Oh, well, because of my travels, um, I'm a people watcher. I think I'm I'm an observant person. Um, I I do tend to vent. Maybe this is all part of my um, being a remote employee as well. I don't have a lot of time for water cooler chat at the office. So we'll, we'll turn to social media and... Just report my observations and see <laughs> see who Which agrees, see who agrees and who who disagrees. Just you know, the whole taking your shoes off on an airplane thing is just blows my mind. That I, <laughs> you know, one of one of my biggest pet peeves is the the lack of I don't know if it's courtesy, maybe it's just lack of awareness. If you're in the row behind me and you stand up and you're yanking on that seat to help you stand up, you're probably yanking on my hair. <laughs> Which is there's a lot, and it's curly, and it's but and those things, uh, yeah. There's just there's too numerous to mention. Um, These are Kim's do's and don'ts for <laughs> entering onto a plane and how to behave. The the airline etiquette. Airline etiquette. Um, it's fun. Uh, it, what's even funnier is when other people now 
bring me their own experiences and say, I, I, I can one-up you on this one, Kim. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. That was terrible. Those people never should have done that. I, I feel sorry for you. I, I think we all need to be a lot more aware of our surroundings when, when traveling. And, and a lot more courtesy, I think, to just, you know, what's okay in your home might not be okay in our collective four-hour flight here, people. <laughs> no, but also... also bringing it back to telecoms it's like okay communication and messaging has completely adapted and changed and that's an etiquette in itself when it went on a plane mm-hmm. the tapping oh, of the, the keys oh, oh that's the, my latest pet peeve oh why 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 do you have to have the noise on your phone when you're sitting in a crowded place <laughs> typing a novel an 87 chapter novel type 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 click 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 and then you don't have these things called earphones to put in your ears so we all get to be a part of your FaceTime <laughs> conversation um, and watching a video, which may or may not be appropriate, um, but we all get to listen to it. And I just can't I just, believe when people do that, when I, they watch a film like publicly or listen to music publicly. Yeah, as if everybody wants to be a part of this experience you're having. Sometimes no. Yeah. No, doesn't isn't necessary. People That's, turn off the, the the keyboard tapping. Please. <laughs> click 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 click. Oh my god. Oh, it's like nails on a chalkboard. It just grates me to no end. My daughter does it. Every time I hear it, she goes, well, I don't know if I always hit the keys right. I'm like, look at your screen. It'll tell you if I'll you hit the, the keys. put the headphones and you can listen to it. <laughs> you can listen to the tapping. <laughs> I grab her phone, I turn it off, hand it back. No, I just, I, I just can't understand how people, you know, they don't have a moral conscience when it comes to, to watching um, a film or listening to music in a public space. We've become very selfish, I think, as a society because we don't look up much anymore. So my focus is here. This is my world. I'm looking down on this. I think we've become very tunnel visioned on what's going on in our little world on that keyboard or that computer or that smartphone. Kim, Kim, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You to... are such an entertaining person. Walk and you down are... memory lane with you. Well, you are as well, um, as you described at the beginning, a roaming goddess. <laughs> that actually was a nickname provided to me by uh, a good friend of mine. Um, she's left the industry. Her company was one of the ones that has been bought out. But this was many years ago. We were on a, a conference call with multiple operators and a vendor. And the vendor was asking, you know, surveying questions of who in your company does this, who in your company does that, and it was me, me, that's me again, yep, still me, me, (laughs) (laughs) and my, my colleague at this other company, she's like, Kim, you're just the goddess of all things roaming, and I said, you know, I need a business card to say that. You do, you need to, (laughs) well, again, Kim, thank you so much for the sunshine you have provided to us today. It's been a real pleasure and yeah, I wish you a good trip back home with lots of very nice people who will look after their their volume on their devices. <laughs> on their devices and keep their shoes on on the plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just do the very basics. Yeah, just just the base and the toenail clipping. That was a new one the other day. I neglected what? to mention that one. <laughs> I I couldn't bring myself to even bring it up. I was so disgusted. <laughs> Feel free to vent anytime you like <laughs> over Rocco Radio with me, please. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a fun conversation. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Look out for more in the Well Connected series in the coming weeks. Currently, Rocco has just published its Innovation Reports 2018. Check out the market leaders at RoccoResearch.com and see how MNOs ranked their vendors. Until next time, this is Jason Bryan, and you've been listening to Well Connected from Rocker Radio.